And now, coming to you live from the Waldorf Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strahan and Gary K. Wolf with special guest Liza Trombi on the Coot Street Podcast! Congratulations! <laughs> I thought oh, you were going to get a new intro. <laughs> well, we were, but we're not that organized, and we were on holidays, and you know how it is. Oh. We hope that people will continue. If people continue listening week after week, one of those weeks there'll be a new intro. But the only way you can find out if there's a new intro is to listen every week. Yeah, and and we aspire to a new intro. Isn't that enough? Yeah. <laughs> it's. I, I mean, I I like the enthusiastic intro. I have to say. So. <clears throat> Look, it's 176 episodes in. We're still making it up. I know. Mm. It's it's good. So welcome. That's pretty exciting. 176. 76. 176. We we are on track to record episode 200 at LUNCON. That is excellent. Congratulations. Thank you, I think. Or commiserations (laughs) or, you know, sympathies to our listeners. I'm not sure which actually is is accurate. But anyway, welcome to the podcast. Yes, I think it, it, you haven't had me on since last year, maybe, or maybe even longer. Oh. But no, it's good. It's good to be here. Good to be here. I'm not complaining, really. I'm not much of a sort of... I went into print publishing because I like the part where you get to edit, and <laughs> you guys don't do that. So. Not a whole lot. A little bit, sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Particularly if after the fact, you, you, know, you, you call us up and say, holy crap, did you really say... Did I really say that? <laughs> Could you take that out, please? Or didn't you cut that bit off the end? Or, you know? Oh, Right. Because <laughs> I think the last time, yes, the last time we talked was when the 2012 Hugo's came out. So it's been a long Happy. time. It has been a long time. Oh, but, it is quite a long. But this is a good time because February, the beginning of February, is when the Locus Year in Review issue and the Locus recommended reading lists uh, appeared. Well, as of I guess this morning, in everybody's. Uh, it was 1 a.m. this morning. It all went online. Mm-hmm. So. So it's out there in the world. So this is, this is, I mean, just to sort of give context, this this is sort of the, the t- tail end of the most difficult, demanding <laughs> period of the year for, yep. you know, locus publications at our, isn't it, really? Pretty much. Pretty much. I have a, I have a like, just don't email me in January. <laughs> not if you actually want a response, because there's just, it's not, you know, the magazine itself isn't any larger, it's just that, Every part of it is data, practically, or things that have to be checked and triple checked. And even so, I'm I'm cringing to look at it because I'm finding errors, and it happens, you know. But I mean, <clears throat> I don't I don't honestly recall how long the recommended reading list has, has been coming out. But what's the process like for you now in 2014 putting it together? I mean, I remember various iterations in in my past of how it was done. <laughs> You know, being chased around a living room by a grumpy old man, uh, <laughs> or you know, mm-hmm. literally, or, or or sitting in in a restaurant eating crustaceans by the ocean and feeling very, you know, sort of grand. But what is it? What is yeah. it now? How do you, how does it come together? How do you do it? How do you find get something onto the list? How do I how do I stitch it up? Right. Um, well. <clears throat> I mean, you obviously know sure. all of this already, but, but just to say what um, all of the books that come in for review basically are put on a physical shelf. I mean, we're having to work a little bit with ebooks now, so that's trickier. There are like hundreds of book, 
books on these shelves and then slips of paper that designate ebooks at this point. But all of the, the books that go up for review get put on shelves all through the year. And they, we start making this incredibly long list, which is longer now, of course. I mean, I think we saw 2,700 books yep. this year, and that was down. And But it's still a huge number. And um, uh, obviously, there's not really a real way for us to track all of the ebooks and nor necessarily would we want to see every single book that is out there in the universe. We want to see the ones that people are really taking note of. So all of the books that get reviewed go onto this long list. And then we have, of course, this sort of council of reviewers and critics that, um, then we send this list. I guess we start sending it out in about October or November. Mm. And everybody starts voting on things that they've read and letting us know if they liked it, if they maybe liked it, if they d absolutely didn't like it. And, um, you know, it's it's tricky. I think it's definitely like I can see it even in the four years that I've been running it getting more complicated as there are more titles to deal with. And, um, you know, we tried adding some people this year. I don't actually know if more people makes it easier. Mm. Uh, I I don't know if you might have suffered from a little bit of that on the short fiction list as well. well is that it, it in some ways it's more wrangling. Yeah. Well, certainly, uh, my experience probably for the last well, again, about four years or so, I've been helping by compiling the short fiction list with you, and. Yeah we now have more people involved in voting than ever before. Uh, I think it, there may have been an extended group for the short fiction, maybe as many as 18 people. No, it was long. It was long. And the reason for that was very simple. It's exactly what you're saying. I mean, yes, there was 2,700 books that you mm. saw and probably three times that many that you didn't just because of the vagaries of the world. Right. Um, and for short stories, I just shake. I couldn't even guess how many there were. Uh, you know, once upon a time, you know, we could estimate there were three or four thousand being published back in the days when Mark Kelly was actually keeping track. And but, when publishing was on paper. Yeah, uh, well, mm. yes. Uh, but now I would think there would be five times that many published, certainly. And so trying to run a process where you're trying to get a, a reasonably objective, fair way of getting something onto your list becomes very challenging. Because you've got to find stuff that enough people have read. You can have a brilliant story that only one person has read. Right. And, well, and I, think, I think this year we really, I really noticed a lot of latecomers to the list. Like yes. we run about four or five rounds of voting yeah. in the last uh, three months of the year and a little bit in one round usually in January. Yeah. And um, I, I kept like people kept saying, oh, but what about this book? Oh, and, you know, there's nothing worse than that December 31st. <laughs> you know, publication day. I think we ended up, it was Cat Valente's collection and we were like, do we run it as a 2014 book? Do we run yeah. it as a 2013 book? And I was like, in the end, I was like, oh, let's just put it on because it's, if anybody's going to look at this for an award based on the copyright date, it may as well be on there now. And we saw it and we had the people saying, this mm. is great, you yeah. know, but it's that like those latecomers to the, sure. <laughs> to the well, show well, well, are well, even trickier. Well, certainly, certainly one of the changes in, the publishing environment that has not yet been fully caught up with uh, is the short lead times for putting books and short fiction out. You know, uh, right. when I started editing Bests of the Year back in 1996, 
you know, you knew what was going to be published for the entire year by the time you got to September. And certainly even in 23 or four, when I started editing in the United States, it was the same thing. Yeah. You knew exactly what was done by September. Now people are, editors are still adding new stories to their ma online magazines uh, during December. You know, they, mm. they, 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 they haven't, they haven't actually picked. I mean, I've had, Advanced Galley sent out to me by thoroughly well-intentioned editors going, here it is, this is the December issue of our magazine. Mm -hmm. And they'll come back and say, actually, no, we've changed our mind. We're dropping this one and adding this one, sorry. Because it hasn't actually gone live yet, and we're going to switch the, flick the switch on the 20th of December. Right. And that is cripplingly difficult for a, for a recommended reading list. And you could say, arguably, though I'm not pr proposing it, begins to push for later publication in the year. I have heard it argued that, um, and especially when you get to small categories where there are very few people voting or reading, like the nonfiction category, that uh, if somebody wants to be nominated for an award, their book should not come out in December. Uh, no, because yeah, because of work, it, it, it's it's not going to come come on anybody's radar before probably after the award season are over. If a book comes out in January. Uh, and it's, let's say, a nonfiction book, which is not going to be on the shelves. It's not going to sell in any kind of surge at the beginning. Uh, you've got 12 months for people to be aware of it. Right. Uh, yeah. The book comes out at the end of December. You've got essentially three months for people to become aware of it. Yeah. Well, in my case, I have two weeks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> quick. And I, I was doing a lot of this year, a lot more of like, can somebody read this? Like, is anyone going to see this? Do you have this already? Are you looking at it? And a lot of last minute reading myself and people on staff, I'm like, you know, has anyone looked at this? Because it's just that last minute rush of, oh, my gosh, this we didn't even know this was coming out. And I do think we're seeing less lead time and we're seeing fewer mm -hmm. print galleys of books. Absolutely. Uh, and I know that's all just resource management and cost cutting and but. It makes it so tricky. It really makes it tricky, you know. And and while people are using eARCs and NetGalley, it's not it's not a smooth system yet. Oh, not and at it's all. certainly was, not the was, same as having two print galleys show up on the doorstep, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, absolutely. And even now, you're getting to the stage where, and it's not a tragedy. It's not the end of the universe where you almost have to buy books to be able to review them in a remotely timely way because it's the only way to get them. Right. Which is, you know, a challenge. Okay, let me ask you a broader question, if I can, because I think it's worth starting at this point, perhaps. For many years now, Locus has put out a February year in review issue, and you've just completed it. You've got a very handsome-looking one out with some old bald guy on the cover. Um, <laughs> what's the what? What do you hope it achieves? The year uh, in review issue. Well, you know, I think. Um, you know, you, <clears throat> I think that we have sort of two jobs. We have two jobs in doing this. And one of them is to reflect the field and the other one is to form the field, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that we do. And so we can um, say these are the books that people are really excited about. These are the books that we're hearing a lot of buzz about and – um, are hitting all of the best of lists. People are, you know, writing great reviews. Critics are liking it. But you can also uh, have. You, we have the opportunity to say, here's a book that you're not probably going to know about. You're not going to see it on the bestseller list because there might only be 500 copies of it. You know, or you're not going to see it because 
the smaller independent press that came out with it just doesn't have the distribution and they're not mm-hmm. going to pay the co-op and get on the table at Barnes and Noble, you know? Um, and, and I do think that there are a lot of important works that come out that way, but I think that it's, it's really sort of a, like if you would go too far one way or the other, I think we lose a lot of value. And I think it's sort of finding that place in between where we're doing both things. We're saying, this is what people are really excited about. And here are some books that our readers are very excited about and you will like to you know i think the thing that people need to understand and i'm sure you get this liza more than i do is that somebody has to see the book um yeah and at a time in the past i mean in the past it was probably much simpler because charles brown wanted to influence the field he wanted to influence um awards balloting and so forth and so on. And he pretty much made up the list himself at the beginning. I, because I remember in my very early years, I'd suggest a book and it'd, it'd say, no, I don't like that. So every, right. everything that went on the list was something he liked. Uh, but now you've got so many small publishers and so many e-publishers and so many micro-publishers, uh, and they don't all get their books out on time. I've already gotten, any, I've already got seen online somebody complaining about not being on the list, on the nonfiction list, for a book which I had never heard of. Uh, right. And I suspect it's one that never got sent to Locust. And by and large, I think people need to understand that neither Locust nor any other publication can magically see every book that comes out in the field unless somebody calls it to our attention. Right. Well, and that is, you know, it's it's so hard when people say, you know, why didn't you review this book? Why why did this not happen? Why is this not on the list? And and then there's the like, well, did did anyone at the publisher send us a, a galley or a final, you know, mm-hmm. did they send us a forthcoming publishing list? Do we even know that this exists? You know, yeah. well, it was like this year, there are two major short story collections on the list and without even beginning to get close to going through the list itself, but there are, there's a best of Ian McLeod mm-hmm. and there's a Robert Reed collection, the great ship, which mm-hmm. collects 12 of the 12 slightly rewritten stories set in the great ship universe. Now, both of these are self-published by the authors. I suspect you know, that they came out on the author's websites and on Amazon, if you happen to notice them, and that was it. Uh, nobody contacted anybody particularly. They went out, you found them or you didn't. You know, I know Paul McCauley has done something similar with some short story collections of his, and it's only by happenstance, by trying to be thorough, that you come across them. So, you know, there's that challenge, which we've alluded to you know, before. And then, you know, there is the, you know, the challenge of, well, I, as a best of the year editor, read, I don't know, I read, you know, all sorts of anthologies. I liked, the, uh, say, Tim Morn's Flight Path Estate, and so I voted for it, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But there's 18 other people, and not everybody else necessarily did like Tim Morn's Flight Path Estate. And so it doesn't make the final ballot and it looks as though we're not considering these things. And there's not a record of other things we considered that didn't make the list. And I'm not saying there should be for a second, but, <laughs> but, but you know, there's not this record of other stuff we considered and there's not a record of how much we loved it, you know. I mean, because obviously there's some things that get onto the list that just get onto the list. Uh, and then there's things which get on by a country mile. I, w- I will say that one of the major changes over the last five years that I've seen is this is the most objectively compiled recommended reading list I've seen. Mm. I think, you know, mm. there have there were there have been historical things. I mean, I know the kind of stuff you're alluding to, Gary. Where back in the day when Charles was there, was alive. I mean, I remember sitting, literally, uh, on the balcony of a restaurant, s- sipping sort of Chardonnay, watching you know, sort of 
Marianne and somebody and other people sort of strolling along the beach where Charles and I had printed out lists going that one yes that one no that one yes that one no exactly right? and yeah. now it's uh, you know I, I almost feel like I could I could produce records of the voting kind of thing to say well the reason that yeah. this is there and that is not there is because this is the you know it's the sort of the pattern the, the the way people voted so I mean I guess you could argue that you know do do we open up the the range of people who vote for these things enough? And I think we do. I think we do a great job of it. Uh, we've mm -hmm. been very open. But it, it do, I guess what I find interesting as well, and I know I'm talking around in circles, so if I'm not clear, I apologize. Mm -hmm. But what I like in this era of an objective recommended reading list is that people still get pissed off about it. <laughs> I yes. like that they still hate the fact that, uh, you know, a book that I hated made the list – and a book that I you know, loved didn't make the list because obviously it suggests that making the list at all matters. Right. And right. not just in some sort of cheap egotistical way of like, oh, you know, look, I can claim to go on the recommended reading list, but because it brings attention to, to whatever the works are. Hopefully, you know, somebody will read The Great Ship by Robert Reed, which they didn't know existed. Yeah. Uh, and obviously we move into the long, long, long awards season and this is also you know, part of the mission of the list and of the issue, I think, right. uh, with awareness for this particular group of works that a group of a couple of dozen people, not sort of one person in their bomb-proof bunker, uh, has come up with that says right. these are all for different reasons of merit. I mean, unfortunately, the impossible thing, and I'm, I, uh, setting aside the practicality of it, it's unfortunate that in some cases we can't say why the, the work, particular workers of interest other than directing people back to the original reviews where they exist. Right. Because I think that would be of, of value to people to understand. What, I mean, why did we think that, you know, X, you work know, X is last, year, last year we compiled a, an ebook that was the list linked to all of its original reviews. Yeah. And it did not do very well. So we have uh, not done that again. No, no. And, I, and I, we might still do it. it. It's a bit of work. but um, And I think it's of interest, actually, to have the list – like you can, you open up the ebook and there's the list, and you can click on each title, and it takes you to the original review that we ran. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, which is, online. which is, but I do think that there's, you know, uh, I've seen tweets that are both, I can't believe these books aren't on the list, and I can't believe these books are on the list, and like, like you said, it's um. You know, it's all there. I actually went back on one of them where someone was like, I can't believe this book uh, is on this list because I heard, you know, terrible things about it. And I went back and looked at the voting and I'm like, there are five yes votes mm -hmm. by people who are professional critics and reviewers. And yes, there is a, a no vote. But, you know, it's, it, 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 it may be of, some some things are of interest in a way that extends beyond whether there is fine craft or great storytelling. And, uh, you know, but there is definitely, like you're saying, it is, it is much more um, based on the voting of the people that are involved in it mm -hmm. than I think it was when Charles was doing it. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's much more a recommended, with an emphasis on the recommended reading list than it was yes. when Charles was essentially saying these are not these are things you should consider for awards because even as a reviewer for locus i see things on this list which i obviously don't vote about but i get curious about them i mean one of our right. recommended novels is countdown city by ben h winters from quirk i've never heard of that it sounds interesting <laughs> i'll check it out now because it's there it doesn't mean i'm gonna like it but it's, it's, it, if enough people 
Yeah, it's a second. It's a second novel. His first novel was a. Um, it's pre-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. um, which so is really normal, right? <laughs> it's there's a um. The, okay, I know we're not really talking about novels, but this one is interesting because it's somebody that I hadn't heard of, and but he wrote a story about what happens when people know that the world is about to end, as opposed to after it has, you know, we have gone through some sort of singularity or some sort of Holocaust or something has happened. It is, it is when there are the people who are committing suicide and going and fulfilling their bucket list. And, and it's really interesting. And this is actually the second. So, well, that's what I'm saying is that the message I get from that is that this is worth looking at. Not yeah. necessarily it's the best novel of the year, not necessarily it should win a Hugo, but it's it's something that some people who are sensitive, knowledgeable readers have said is interesting, and now I'm interested in it. And just right. as a reader, that's what I use the list for. Um, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the people who I think does a good job in terms of uh, letting people know about her, her own work is, is Linda Nagata, who's on, you know, for a novel, which is essentially self-published, I believe. But Linda yeah. is very good about letting people know about that. Yeah. No, and it was nice to actually see some, uh, the range in the publishers was pretty, there was a mm. very strong spread this year. Usually Tor sort of dominates the, certainly the science fiction end of it. And um, it was really spread out this year. Mm. And a lot, and a, lo- a lot more ti- um, publishing titles that I don't actually know if they're real publishers or they're self-published at that yeah. point. Do do you find that that kind of thing, that that some of the considerations that used to be really important five years ago just aren't that important any longer, that you've had to change the way you look at what should be eligible and considered? Um, Hang on a second. Sorry, I'm having a small person invasion. Yeah. Let me. Uh, yeah. I will mention one thing, which is which is of minor entertainment value, and it's absolutely nobody's fault. But one of the one of the novellas that I advocated for was was Caitlin Kernan's Black Helicopters, yeah. which is hard to get. Um, and I, I noticed on Locus Online today, uh, the list is there on Locus Online with links to many of the books. And for mm-hmm. Black Helicopters, the link does take you to Amazon. But it takes you to a page where you can buy actual black helicopters, <laughs> at least toy ones. <laughs> so the links is those links are set up with a, with a search term, and they were all supposed to be checked. You know, it's an imperfect world, but no, it's they were perfect. all supposed to be checked. Is is it in the first top three that you can get there or not? No, no because not there is no edition you can buy. You can't buy black helicopters. Oh well, then it didn't get checked enough. I think it was delightful. I mean, I think it was great. I mean, I, I, I know, I know what well, that. You should have seen what the link for Cold Steel was, went yeah. to. Cold Steel by Kate Elliott went somewhere similar. <laughs> they were all <laughs> knives. I had to go and dig up the proper link for that one. So, so what do you think are the interesting features of, of this list? I mean, I've I've had a very, very, very close look at the short fiction list, obviously, and a fairly close look at the 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 main book list. What do you think are the main features? What, what's interesting this year? Hmm. Bad question. <laughs> well, no, I'm just, uh, you know, now I'm looking at it and trying, because it's, I mean, I think it, it was of interest to me that there were f- much fewer first novels that people um, were excited about. Mm-hmm. Um and even when I was like, well, where are all the first novels and going back and trying to, fu- to dig them up? Mm. Because especially because in publishing, um, 
first novels have been this, you, you know, this is where the end, the pot at the end of the rainbow is for all the publishers. Is they're like, they want that first book that breaks out. And I actually kind of hope that this is a sign that we'll return to. You can actually groom an author. You can yeah. have a breakout on a third novel and it doesn't have to be this big push for that first novel is first novel is first novel. Cause I, I don't think it's fair to the author and I don't think that it, actually makes sense for the publishers to put that kind of like we're going to give a big push for this new person even though we have this really excellent author who's coming in at mid list on book three and we're mm -hmm. going to just lowball them and you know so I'm hoping that that actually means something um but as it stands the books that did make it on are really good books um we have the ancillary justice yeah. which is definitely sort of the standout debut, I think, certainly for science fiction for last year. And we have Sophia's, so Samatar's um, A Stranger in Alondria, which just won the Crawford. Um, and some other books that got a lot of attention. Um, I know uh, Chris Wilrick, I yeah. assume is Wilrich. I don't know how you pronounce uh -huh. it. The Scroll mm -hmm. of Years from Pyre did really well, got a lot of excellent reviews. So I'm very happy about that, even though it's, not extensive i feel like that part is very strong yeah um, this is another question no. this is another question uh, you might get because i get it occasionally because the first thing that struck me about looking at the list all at once in the magazine instead of seeing emails is that the science the, the science fiction novels list seems short it seems you know, certainly shorter than fantasy and then you realize wait a minute some of the, some of what could be in the recommended science fiction novels would be novels like ancillary justice that show up in first novels or that um, might show up in adult. adult fiction. Right. So, so actually, the recommended science fiction consists of more than what's listed under novels science fiction. Yeah. Includes some things that are under young adult and some things that are under first novels. And I have to say that in um, science fiction, the science fiction section specifically, it really feels like a lot of familiar authors and. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's a change in any particular way, but it struck me more this year that I was like, wow, these guys just come out with a book every year, every other year. And, you know, they're strong hitters. They always, they always make it. Um, and then the ones that are not those people are very, feel very new or very sort of like they're self-publishing. They're coming from very small houses. So mm. is this the science fiction list? Yeah, because I'd quibble with you. I, I, I don't think really? you've looked at the list clo closely. I mean, I know why you say you, you look at that list of 20 odd books and you're going, oh, there's Robert Charles Wilson again. There's Charlie Strauss again. There's Stan Robinson yeah. again. Right. Yeah. But Brian Aldous hasn't written a book really much in the last handful of years. But Madeline Ashby, uh, Max Barry, uh, even Atwood doesn't appear on the list very often. Wolfgang Jeschke in English doesn't appear on these lists very often. Karen Lord with her second novel. Linda Nagata, who's been off the list for a decade, probably. Chris Priest, who writes mm -hmm. occasionally. I don't think it's anywhere near... And Ben Winters with his second novel. I don't think it's anywhere near a set as it initially appears. I mean, I do think one of the criticisms that is cast, not necessarily fairly at the list, generally, is that it's a usual suspect's result. Mm. But I don't think that's as true as people th think it is if they would actually look at the uh, list closely. I think what happens is yeah. people skim it quickly and they see enough familiar names, right. you know, no, and they go, that, well, that's it. I think that you and I agree. I mean, I, I do, 
even though you're saying that we don't, I think that we're agreeing. It's just that the names that are not those very familiar names, like you said, Aldous and uh, Wolfgang Jeschke, are sort of surprises, I think. Yeah. In a sort. Not that yeah. Aldous being on there is a surprise, but that they, that the titles themselves showing up are a surprise. Yeah. So, I think another yeah, question no. that comes up, and it, it seems to me it comes up increasingly these days is that uh, we all have to make decisions about what we're counting as science fiction and what we're counting as fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seemed that used to be a lot easier than it is. But for example, yeah. um, I was, one of the novels that shows up on the recommended, I think it's on the recommended fantasy list, has been Percy's novel. Um, mm-hmm. about Well, Ready. and you can read that as an alternate history uh, in which right. lichens coexist with humans, in which case you could kind of squint at it and it's science fiction. Or at least it well, belongs in a subgenre that has traditionally been thought of as science fiction. Right. And Gene Wolfe, of course. Gene Wolfe is always a little bit of both. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in the Gene Wolfe category, but <clears throat> we don't have room for that. So. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I, we can, we, I mean, that's always a battle, right? That's always the... Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, Life After Life, there was a question by Kate Atkinson, you know, the main character dies and then is brought back and relives her life and then dies again and is brought Mm -hmm. back and relives her life. And there is some mechanism that's never described. And, um, you know, there's, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always this question of how do you, where do you end up putting these things? Um, I think, um, trying to think of who else we struggled with. Uh, well, I mean, there's certainly lots of cases of um, writers straddling the field the way they were. I was, I was looking at the Paul Cornell novel, which is pretty clearly a fantasy. It's really a horror novel, but there are ways you could look at it that say, well, you could, you could, he could science fictionize that with a few tweaks here and there. Right. Well, and then you, well, and then you get down to, is it really just, you know, was it an alien or was it a? Right. Robot. Was it a ghost or, you know, and then it's just a mechanism. And so and if you're looking at this as for something that's going to have impact for awards, that that's not necessarily going to change that much. Or certainly not the Hugo's. But, um, you know, do you get a sense. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go on. I was going to say, do you get a sense that when they get a response, because we've been talking largely about novels and. The majority of the list deals with everything else, collection, short fiction, nonfiction. But do you find that the, ni- the vast majority of the discussion about the list comes down to novels? Um, well, I mean, I think in some ways trying to talk about the short fiction list is almost too, it's too fast. There are too many titles. Mm-hmm. To even begin to talk about it in some ways, um, I it does seem like that though. It seems like most of the conversation happens about the the novels, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What do you think that is, Jonathan? Uh, you mean about the, the difference of the discussion between novels and short fiction? I think it's because, uh, first of all, honestly, the number of people who are interested in the short fiction is somewhat le- smaller than the number of people who are actively interested in novels. I think mm. you're right that number of titles is an absolute influence on the, the you know the discussion that's had. You get you know, if you have, I, I guess there's maybe what sixty novels or something on the list all up somewhere around there, and there are 
probably 60 short stories and another 40 novelettes, another 20 novellas or something. So you're talking double the number of works to look at. And they inevitably beget the couple of dozen collections that are going to end up on the list. And they're all published diversely and strangely. So there's only a small number of people who actually look at them. And what I find or I found over time when it comes to the short fiction list is that it becomes something of a guide and arguing point for those later awards and all that kind of thing. Right. And I think it's a great historical snapshot in all sorts of ways. I mean, I've always thought that the recommended reading list and the Locus Awards are fascinating, not for what wins, but for how works and writers rank in it. Because, of course, Locus produces a ranked list of um, what's voted for after the uh, Locus Awards are announced. And that's where you can see, I mean, I remember looking in the days of cyberpunk, right? You go back to the mid-80s, mm-hmm. and you can see where the field, because it's a popular vote, becomes aware enough of Bruce Sterling or William Gibson for them to win or not. And they begin to sort of, they're putting out works, and they're bubbling up down and sort of coming around 10th or 12th, and then 4th or 5th, and then maybe they win a couple, and then they drop back off because they're, and you can see these patterns over time. And that's really interesting and valuable historically. But to expect, you know, anybody to keep up now, to be able to make really useful, sensible statements about short fiction, is really demanding. I mean, this year is really a fascinating year. Uh, Publishing has changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rapidity of publication has changed. The nature of the kind of publications have changed. There's an awful lot of... uh, generally as well as on the list there's an awful lot of uh kick-started sort of um funded projects so they don't come from a traditional publishing background necessarily so that changes the the kind of thing there's an awful lot of single one-shot oddities beginning to show up i think 12 tomorrows by Stephen, edited by Stephen cass mm-hmm. for the mit right. technology review it's fascinating mm-hmm. because it's actually a magazine um and it's the first it, it is probably the single best science fiction anthology of the year, I think. But it's come out as this one shot from a high-tech magazine. They've done, right. you know, they do one every two or three years. I think Bruce Sterling's editing another one at the moment for them. Mm-hmm. And you then sort of, you know, you move along, you get something like The Lowest Heaven from uh, Anne Perry and Jared Shuren, which is this really interesting book that's produced as a for-sale item at a museum exhibit. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not intended really for commercial sale at all, you know, and you kind of go, well, how does that fit in? And then you're getting, I mean, frankly, politically motivated books and I I applaud them, but, uh, you know, something like um, the Afrofuturism stuff, which has real social and political reasons for existing, uh, we see a different frontier. Uh, They're becoming much more common and are worth recognizing. Uh, But I think that's part of the value. And you mentioned something like 12 Tomorrows. Until I saw it on the Locust Recommended Reading List, I had no way of... And, and it's got that marvelous 1960s cover that looks exactly oh, yeah. like a pyramid paperback. Fantastic. Yes, they just want to make um, sure that old farts buy it, that's all. Well, yeah, people like me are going to say, I, I, I own that when I was 12. <laughs> right. Well, and, and those things, actually, I mean, on a little side note, we've been getting a lot of magazines that look like anthologies or called books or anthologies that look like magazines and and vice versa. And often they're coming out from a magazine company, but they have an ISBN and they're being books or anthologies. And we're like, wow, 
Yes. What do we call that? <laughs> exactly. Look, I mean, Fiction River started a anthology magazine, and you're going, now you're right. just doing that to really be annoying because we can't. Right. You know, and, and it used to be the day. It doesn't happen so much anymore. But every October, November, for 100 years, you know, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction would put out a double issue back before every issue was a double issue. And it would be effectively a major anthology, right. but never recognized as such. So some of these things are breaking down. Um, I do think that for me, one of the most interesting things was I found myself wanting to have a fight with the collections list to try and make it shorter, and we mm. couldn't. Right. You know, well, it, that is such a that is such a hard list to pare down. Mm. Um, you know, looking at at voting and trying to figure out well which ones just have the bare minimum votes and sure. and. And often getting to that part where it's like, God, they're just, they're still excellent collections, you know, and um, how do you, how do you do that? Now, this year, I mean, last year we had more. I think this year mm. we had 30, last year we had 36. So, um, and there were still collections that were really good that pe we looked at and just didn't get the votes. Yeah. And I think mostly because mm. people just simply hadn't read them. But by authors that we know write strong short fiction and that we know this is an excellent collection. But the collection, um, the collection category for me is very important in the list because, uh, I, as, as you both know, I don't keep up with short fiction that much. And suddenly when uh, the, the, a, a title that appeared, and it certainly was a contender for the Crawford Award this year, was Yoon Ha Lee's collection. And right. I had not read her fiction. I may have read one or two stories. And putting it all together, you realize, okay, this is a major writer emerging in the field. And unless you keep up with a lot of short fiction, you don't know that until you see the collection. Well, and seeing them together really gives you a sense of the writer as opposed to a sort of one-off, I read this story, you know, yeah. in this issue of. Yeah. yeah. I think that that then speaks to the value of the year-in-review issue as well, because you don't just put out uh, the list itself. It's not like it's a two-page flyer and everybody gets to sort of run off and look at it. Uh, mm. There are all these art essays written that annotate, discuss, highlight that this is a particularly interesting book. I mean, as you say, the Yoon Ha Lee is a, a, an obvious one, but there's a bunch of them through the, collect through the, through the collections list uh, mm -hmm. that people have raised, discussed, as a way of sort of saying, well, and of the ones that are on the list, these ones were you know, these ones are of interest to Gary Wolf for for his own reasons. These ones are of interest to Russell Letson for his own reasons. These ones were of interest to Graham Slate for his own reasons or whatever else. Well, and I think well, really, especially in the nonfiction and the art books, mm. a lot of people aren't seeing any of this. No, you know, this isn't, this is not showing up on Twitter. Because someone's saying, I loved this book, and this is not showing up at Barnes & Noble. It's not, you know, and if you're interested in reading nonfiction, which I think is a really important part of keeping up with the field, you really need that. Mm. Um, you need to know what's out there. And even we have a hard time keeping track of it, you know, yeah. and this is what we do. So well, how can you expect a, a casual reader to do that? You know, mm. even if they're trying to be, take it more seriously and read more nonfiction, how would they even know? And the art books are very specialty and very expensive and not something you would just sort of casually pick up. So it's nice to have that. Yeah. No, no, they're not go. the sort of thing you would even know exists. I mean, I didn't know there was a Hannes Bach collection this year. Um, right. And it, but in, in all these categories, I think they fall into two, more or less two categories. For example, if you look at, um, oh, 
I don't know. Spectrum is something that shows up, and it should show up on the list every year. A Frazetta collection is something that sh probably shows up with some regularity. But like I say, I didn't know about the Hannes Bach collection. The same thing is true with nonfiction. So many of these things are published by very small specialty presses or by university presses, some of which don't know about Locus, therefore don't send copies, therefore they don't get listed. And I go back to my original point that if you don't, if somebody doesn't tell us about a book existing, it's probably not going to get listed. Right. Well, and that's, you know, we can only do what we can do. But then in some ways that's nice about having all of the different people chiming in on the recommended list is that you end up getting that, oh, well, there was this book and did you guys see this? And mm. that's sort of last minute, even though it often it often doesn't give us enough time to really take it as seriously as we'd like to. Yeah. And look, I also like the fact that, I mean, books that I, books that I love didn't make the list. Books that mm. I hate made the list kind of thing you know i mean historically i don't think there's a book on this particular list that i look at and go oh my god that's a piece of egregious rubbish i can't make it i can't believe it made it but certainly in previous years long before you became came involved in this, ages ago uh but i mean hey look egregious pieces of things have won the hugo so it's interesting to have that that discussion i will say i have a new feeling about the book recommended reading list now than mm. than sort of i used to have when i first encountered it i mean back in the mid 1980s uh, first of all, it was an inspiration to read. Mm -hmm. Second of all, at one point, it was a way of keeping score. I don't know if you can believe yeah. that. As someone not involved with Locus, I reached a point where I would be able to say I'd read 90% of the recommended reading list before it came out. Hmm. And now it's the tombstone that, that that sort of marks where the things that I should have read sit because I don't have time <laughs> to read all those novels. <laughs> <laughs> for after you retire when you can go back it's never right? going to happen i just i mean oh. there's a couple of books i would love to read and i'm looking going but it's too i mean like i've got a pile of books either digitally or physically for 2014 i haven't really officially started my my uh best of the year um reading though i have to do that any minute now and i'm going well am i going to go back and read the village sang to the sea by bruce McAllister, which you said such nice <laughs> things about gary i liked it a lot and I'd kind of like to, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to. And that's sort of a, a, you know, a, a personal but real difficulty. That, that well, that's the job hazard, right? That's yeah. working in the field. Like, I'm just now, I'm like, oh, thank God, now I get to read 2014 books. Yeah. Because I, I'm like, 2013 is done. I've read what I'm going to read. And now I can go and, and read some of the books that are waiting for me to find out about them. And that's at least the excitement of getting yes. it done right i think one of the things of science fiction readers and science fiction fans sometimes get this sense that we have to keep up with the field in total and and, and recommended reading list is, is is different from required reading list it's not as of saying we're canceling your subscription to locus unless you can pass an exam on these books by by, by may um there are recommendations that i i don't like there are things on the list that i'm i'm not interested in ever reading and there are things on the list that I think, yeah, I really ought to do that. I mean, maybe maybe we should do this, Liza. Think about this. We can divide the entire list into three categories, into strongly recommended, mildly recommended, and grudgingly permitted. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> See, I think what we should actually do is we should show up at the London Worldcon and vo volunteer, offer to help, and we can show up at registration with a survey. And if you can't pass the survey, you're not allowed in. That's <laughs> you know, well, we'll help them manage their numbers by turning back half of the membership because they haven't read enough stuff in two th from 2013. I think that sounds perfectly reasonable. 
Oh, yeah, the problem is I wouldn't get in the room. <laughs> oh, this is all for the are not now, allowed to run anything. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even run a podcast, Liza. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but no, I think it's come out to be a, a, you know, a, a good list. I'm sure that we will uh, get to the top. You know, as the various awards come out, we'll see things listed and recommended that we overlooked. And that's always an interesting thing. That moment where you go running off to, you know, sort of the world fantasy ballot comes out and there's some novel that you've not heard of and you go mm-hmm. running off to check it out. And that's always something you almost hope for. I mean, it's, it's, it's the point of the awards as well. This highlights everything that we saw that our group recommended. Right. And we've been doing it one way or another for 30 plus years or something, I guess. And that's, that's great. It's a valuable, valuable yeah. thing. So, I think one of the and things that uh, you know, go, it, go. It, it, it's it's actually I, it's a really as stressful as it is, and as complicated as and as much sort of wrangling of opinions and trying to get people to participate in a timely manner and get books read that not enough people looked at. Um, it's a really exciting time to work in the field because you get to look, you get to really look at everything and 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 sort of step back and, and look at it in one, like you said, like not seeing it in bits and pieces, but just in one long list and be like, wow, you know, it was an exciting year. Yeah. It was a good year, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I like it. I'm very happy when it's done. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> so. I think it's also something that you probably joined me in doing. And that is first of all, thanking, but also pointing out that this, this list is largely voted on by volunteers on paid people yes. who have mm. already involve themselves in the field and who are willing to engage themselves. So first of all, to thank them for doing that because it is an unthanked task. We thank them in the magazine, but uh, nonetheless, they've put in their time. They've gone through lists and they've voted and they've argued and they've talked about it. So that that's a huge thing. So, I mean, I think sometimes I think when people look at the list from afar and they see Loka sitting in an enormous, you know, multinational corporate bunker in California <laughs> that it sits in, you know, it, you know, they must assume that the, you know, there's this highly paid squad of people who are involving right. themselves when in fact it's a bunch of passionate individuals who are volunteering. So, yeah. you know, I think we should thank them, but people should also remember that that's where it comes from, that it's yeah. passion, not paid employment that it's well, and there's no and there is no um there's no gains made by people voting for or against anything at that point you no. know these are people who who really love genre fiction who are saying what they think about it and have read a lot of stuff and have a lot of experience in the field there's no there are no gains made here this this is not a there's no commercial end to voting yay or nay on anything so no. this is really just from and, the heart. And, and people, I, I do notice in the discussions that people are very professional about just recusing themselves. That's um, true. I mean, so, well, so well, people should know, for example, that Jonathan's fearsome journeys ended up on the list, whether or not Jonathan had anything to say about it, because yes. everybody else thought it was a good anthology. Yeah, well, no, nobody's allowed to vote for their own. Well, exactly. So. Mm. And, I mean, I, I will say at one point in the past, I actually quietly argued for removing all our own works, you know, and was you know, outvoted, which is fair enough. Uh, but, no, nobody does. No, uh, and also, because I've actually, I've been shallow enough to watch for this, I know the people who don't like each other, mm. and they don't vote against each other anyway. No, mm. they don't, which is a good thing. <laughs> because I guess one thing that people may not realize in the in the voting approach is that at least when, when we're doing the short fiction you know a positive vote counts but a negative vote counts as well 
you know, so you can vote against something that's, that that is actually will lead towards it maybe not making a list. You know, if, if you need say three posi- three votes to get on, and you get you know three yeses and a no, that's equivalent of a to to two two positive votes, so you don't make it. Right. So you know people could vote negatively and stop stuff getting on, but I've never seen it done. So I don't think so. I mean, I've, oh, I've heard about this sort of thing happening. I've heard, uh, well, I'm going to vote against this person, not not with the locust awards, but you know, I'm 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 going to poison this person's ballot on whatever award because he stiffed me at the bar three years ago. Um, I've I've heard those stories, but I've never known one to be true. Yeah. Hmm. So, look, you you come before us or we come before you because I guess, you know, you are the editor-in-chief publisher of Locus, but, you know, we're part of the Locus team. We come before you with an offering of plenty, you know, more (laughs) books than you're going to read, more short stories than you're going to find, you know, because we all know that in the end you're going to sort of pick a small handful and try them out. But And obviously some things that are missing, but nonetheless, 2013 as best as we could see it. Right, exactly. And actually, to what Gary said when he was said that he thought the science fiction list looked long, I'm like, it's still 20 novels. Mm, yeah. No, anybody who actually is going to go and try and read all of them has got their work cut out for them. So yeah. it's not a... <laughs> well, anyway, I guess yes. all, this, uh, all, all this raises the question, because I, is, is it true, Liza, that the highest profile issue of Locus is the February issue because of the recommended reading list? I think so. I think so. I think that it gets a lot of well. We have the now with the with the way that the internet works and social mm. media. Everybody who's on the list then says, "Look, I'm on the list," and so it has its own right. sort of. I know um, that years ago. I don't know if this is true because bookstore sales have dried up for almost every magazine I know. But many years ago, the February issue sold more through bookstores than any other issue. I think. Yeah. Well, if you still have bookstores out where you live, that's nice. <laughs> I have one, but I can only yeah, I can they, I can only buy Us magazine in the magazine section. That in that in bizarre Parisian fashion magazines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is tough, but um, I I don't know that that actually holds anymore. I do know that we get a huge boost in digital sales for it. So. Uh huh. Which um, is probably the equivalent of what used to be bookstore sales. Exactly. Exactly. But apart from that, generally, uh, to, to, to broaden, since you haven't talked with us for a while on this, what is the role of Locus in terms of the science fiction community these days? It's still the, the central print magazine for news, I suppose, but the field is so diffuse and atomized that how do we continually, and I'm speaking as obviously a part-time employee of Locus, right. how do we continue to fulfill that role, which... 20 or 30 years ago, we were the only one fulfilling. You know, it's, it's, yeah, we are sort of a directly in competition with the internet, which is a, not a great place to be um, <laughs> as far as that goes. But I do think that there's a lot of value to having the reviewers that you know um, who speak to your tastes that review books every month and will review the books that are coming up. I like, I really think in some ways that's just, it's a huge benefit to the field. Like I know which of the, the locus reviewers reflect my taste most closely. And mm. when they say something's good, that's what I want to go read, you know, if I haven't already read it. But, and I think that that's, um, and you know, you, you may, you'll see that online. You see that with some 
people who are reviewing really regularly. But it does, at least in some way, now that everyone and their mother is a reviewer online, <laughs> um, I really think that there's a great strength to that, to that sort of like people who are like, I know that if Gary liked it, I'm going to like it, or Russell's tastes and my taste, or Farron's taste and my taste really mm. align, and I can read these reviews, and I'll know where to put my dollars as far as what I'm going to buy to read. And it's there are so many things out there now. You know, it's funny because people talk about all the you know the various review venues going under or going away, shrinking, mm-hmm. and it's more important now to have. A, to be able to read reviews that you can trust, that you really know, that they know what they're talking about. Because we're awash in titles. We're awash in, in people who are publishing and who everyone can use social media to advertise their work. Not just, mm-hmm. you know, Random House or Tor, but everybody can use it. And it's we're, the signal-to-noise ratio is rough. You know, and I just hope that we're more signal at this point. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a reviewer for Locus, so I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm hardly qualified to talk about this. I mean, I like to believe that um, people read reviews <clears throat> the way I used to read reviews. And that's just for, um, I don't know, uh, to, to get outside of the science fiction field altogether. Uh, even now, there are reviewers in mainstream literature. I I don't. I, I, I tend to distrust what Machiko Kakatami says in the New York Times because she's ex- enormously anti-fantastic literature of, of all sorts of things. Um, I tend to be biased toward what Lev Grossman says in Time Magazine. Right. Um, when I was when he was still alive, one of the uh, movie reviewers that I depended on was Roger Ebert. Not because I liked everything he liked; he had an enormously eclectic taste, but because he could talk intelligently about it. Right. When well, also and that that person that can find something in it that you didn't see or that you won't see yeah. unless you've read the review. That's hugely well, that, valuable. For me, that would be John Clute. There was mm. there was a time, and fortunately, Clute doesn't review as many books as I do these days, or I would feel really dumb. But there was a time when I would I would read a Clute review when he was writing for Interzone, and now he's, I guess, on Strange Horizons. And I would have read the same book, and I would have thought, oh, crap. I missed that, and I missed that, and I missed that, and I missed that. <laughs> that's how you make me feel, Gary. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. I usually look at those reviews of John's and go, oh, crap, what does that actually mean? <laughs> well, there's that, too. There's, there's always that. Because um, there are some days when yeah. I have no idea. But, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think I think that we still have we still have our own, you know, we we have the reviews and we have the access to the news and the forthcoming list. I still think we're the only person who compiles the forthcoming yeah. list, and that's mm-hmm. a huge amount of work for us. Um, and so I like to think that we're still there, recording the field and informing mm. readers. You know. Well, I, I certainly think it's interesting. It says a lot about how much work and how much is invested in this. Uh, physically in times of time, that there are no alternatives out there. You know, I don't see anybody putting together, as you say, a forthcoming books list. And everybody has, to, as far as I can remember, back to when I first encountered the magazine, has valued it highly. I don't know anybody out there who is compiling a big year in review issue like this. I mean, you get a few sort of like top 10 kind of things and mm. all that. Mm. But for all the people, people say, why didn't this make the recommended reading list? Nobody's compi- compi- compiling, you know, Jonathan Strand's recommended reading list on a similar scale as a counter-argument, which actually on one hand I'd love to see. 
I think it'd be mm. really right. interesting. But mm. I think it says, you know, goes to show that this remains a kind of still an industry standard, you know, sort of here in 2014. Um, I mean, you're saying or asking Gary, you know, what does what what is the value of of locus? I guess part of the lo- value of locus remains that it's the evolution of an ongoing discussion that this magazine, this group of people, and the people before it, before us who've been involved in the magazine have had with the field. And so people are still turning to it going, well, you know, 40 years ago it was great, or 30 years ago it was great when you made the recommended reading list. Wow, I really want to make the recommended reading list now. Right. You know, I, I want to be able to turn to it and find stuff. I want to be able to go to – I want to be reviewed in Locus. I mean, uh, for all that publishers have very good reasons, and I'm not being critical of them here, for not sending out review copies or reducing the number of review mm. copies, most of their authors are kind of going, damn, I didn't get reviewed in Locus. Why didn't I get reviewed in Locus? Well, and you know we're the we are one of a we're the only print magazine I think at this point doing this, but there are certainly other voices in this conversation, oh, sure. and um and that's good you know we we do our best and cover as much as we can and and make some statements and you know the other venues that are doing similar things online are doing their part and and it all needs to be there you know it's all it. Without any sort of back and forth, it it become it would become pretty stagnant. Mm. So I think that um, no, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. It's a lot of work, though. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> and now, can you turn towards the new year refreshed, Liza, <laughs> and and ready to do it again? That's yeah. right. That's because, right. Because the next thing, I mean, uh, is that you're getting ready. The, the pair of you far more than I. Um, you are preparing to step onto the great sort of cycle of 2014 and the science fiction year and going off to mm. ICFA and going off here and going off there and lots and lots of going off kind of thing. Yep. The beginning of the convention season. It's kicking in. Right, so. exactly. Yeah. You, you had this nice period of time off. I have to say, if there's one thing Charles did really stupidly for my money, it's he managed to sort of put the largest amount of work during the off season when he <sighs> could have been relaxing. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. The timing is a little rough, but you can't really do the year in review until the year is over. Well, so, but if I had a dollar for everybody who said to me, "So, did you really enjoy your break over <laughs> o- over?" And you're going, over the well, holidays. you know, I had this couple hundred thousand word best of the year to do, and a recommended reading list to do, and all this sort of thing. So, it wasn't really much of a, a right. break it's at like, all. It's- yeah, it's exactly. Your your final paper is due right after the holidays instead of right before. Uh, yeah, exactly. so it goes. Anyway, the so old, the old that's, that's the old way of scheduling college semesters. When I went, to, I remember went to school. You, you didn't you didn't end the semester before Christmas. You came back for two weeks after Christmas when your final exams you ruined the holiday completely. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, it must be the same kind of thing. It is. It is. Okay. Well, I have um, I have small children and who are, are wondering obviously. where I am now. <laughs> okay. So, well, I thank think... you very much for joining us. No, it's fun. It's it has fun. been a pleasure. And uh, no doubt, in fact, I know we will see you later in the year. Yes. Come, Absolutely. you know, sort of August and good old sunny London, <laughs> where <laughs> we hope. all we will go to celebrate. You know, a certain, you know, the science fiction community coming together, and there'll be Hugo stuff and all sorts of fun. So. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. And Liza, you and I will see each other at ICFA in about oh, two months. Absolutely. And that'll be excellent. So looking that'll forward to it. 
Okay. Well, thanks, guys. That was fun. Okay. Until then, talk to you again. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.